0: blessed be sluts and welcome back to love lust and magic a show about sex witchcraft and the goddess where we get down and dirty with the esoteric and erotic i am so glad that you're here hopefully vibing to enjoy this episode with the incredible sexy sweet kind and just so damn Powerful storm fairy wolf. Storm fairy wolf is a teacher, an author, and a practitioner of queer magic. His work really really centers queerness and otherness as a form of strength and power and his newest book the satyr's kiss is all about queer sex magic so of course i got my grubby little hands on it and had to sit down to interview storm about the beauty and healing and profound just love in this book we actually recorded this conversation in june during pride month and i'm really excited to bring this to you to just to have a little bit of that energy in the darkness of the fall so i hope you enjoy this and as always all of storm's links are below to his classes to his books and to his website um, and his social media he posts some really fun bathtub selfies and just is such a joy on social media i highly recommend following him and I more than anything just hope you enjoy this conversation. admire you and adore you so much. Your light and perspective and authenticity, not to mention your devotion to the craft, is so potent and sacred and so special. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be the warlock that you are?
1: Oh, my God. First of all, thank you so much for (laughs) inviting me on and for that wonderful um, introduction. That is pretty (laughs) sparkly and amazing. Thank you. Um, Wow, I don't know. I just... You know, I, I people always ask, you know, how did you get involved in yeah. witchcraft? And, you know, I, I know that everybody wants to hear, like, this great story about self-empowerment or, like, you know, working with the spirits. And and really, my first foray into at least the interest in the craft was watching reruns of Bewitched. Aww. And, you know, that it it really kind of... Just lit a little magical fire in me, not because I figured that I would be able to wiggle my nose and you know make palm trees, pal- <laughs> palm trees appear, or you know whatever, you know. But um, I don't know. It just it just sparked something in me about you know the magical, and so I was just always really drawn to the magical. I will say also, um, in Bewitched, you know, a lot of the male characters were very at least queer coded. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the actors, Paul Lind, who played Uncle Arthur, who I re- who I honor as one of the Rainbow Dead. Um, you know, he was the most famous. You know, of of the the TV Warlocks, and that really kind of spoke to me in a way that I couldn't have understood at the time. Yeah, and I was a, I was a little boy. You know, so I didn't know anything about being gay or sexuality or you know any of that stuff. But that was still there. I think I recognized something. You know, like yeah. attracts like. And so that's really what started me. But I I just became very interested in anything magical. I was also raised with a fierce love and and sense of pride about our Irish heritage, especially on on my mother's side. Um, My grandfather came over from Ireland. And um, so I definitely was raised with stories of the little people and um, the Banshee, you know, and, and things of that, you know, nature saint patrick's day was a sacred day in our house not because we were catholic we were not um but because it it was basically irish heritage day you know in in our house i also grew up in a town called dublin california that's so funny and so it was i you know saint patrick's day was like a big deal you know so um so that was just kind of like my energy growing up the whole celtic thing the irish thing and that's always been steeped in magic and mystery and so I've just always been drawn to that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, one thing led to another. I would find groups. I eventually got initiated into different witchcraft traditions. And and today I teach the craft. And that's what I do to make my living.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. How old were you and you really kind of started creating your own practice for yourself?
1: I was 14.
0: Oh, yeah. That's around the that, age that I was too.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect time. I mean, we're coming into our own, you know, the onset of puberty you know and you're you know all those hormones but you know we're starting to ask questions you know outside of the paradigm you know that we've been handed yeah. and again at that time i didn't realize i was gay i didn't realize i was gay till i was 17. yeah but i always knew that i was different i i, I think i compartmentalized yeah. you know those desires and experiences because that was quote unquote wrong and um you know but at 14 i designed my own ritual for self-dedication well, and I thought it was just going to be to the goddess Diana of the moon. I, I did this in our suburban backyard in Dublin, California, mm-hmm. under the full moon at midnight. Everyone's asleep in the house. And, you know, I go out to do this this ritual that I just make up. You know, I base it on some stuff that I had read, but mostly mostly I made it up. It just felt right to me. And I pledged my life to the craft and to knowledge and to the goddess Diana. And, um, but then when I did that ritual, um, I felt a sense in the darkness that I felt was a masculine presence. And I wasn't really anticipating that. You know, I'd re- at that time, I really didn't focus on anything male or yeah. masculine because that was basically the enemy. you know, like straight people and machismo, you know, that was Mm -hmm. dangerous to me, you know, so that, so I gravitated naturally towards, you know, the divine feminine. And I think a lot of gay boys do that, you know, that's why we have all these icons, you know, that's why we love drag queens, you know, so much, you know, um, you know, but my first goddess was Wonder Woman,
0: Oh yeah. you know,
1: when, when I, I probably was four when I saw the, um, the pilot movie for, um, Linda Carter, you know, as Wonder Woman. And I was just hooked and that was my thing. <laughs> and I've loved her ever since. I have an altar today with my collection of Wonder Woman memorabilia, but I see her as a legitimate manifestation of the goddess. Yeah. And, um, and I, I can pray to her and I get, and I get responses back, just like I would working with any mythologically established deity, because in my mind, there really is no difference. Yeah. You know, so um, all those things kind of wove together, and so my interpretation, my experience uh, of the craft was never really limited to, you know, historical reconstructionism, you know, or or dogma. Really, you know, I I also knew that queer people had a place, and and most of the reading that I did at the time kind of said the opposite. You know, it, it was, it, if not outright homophobic, you know, there were some words from Gerald Gardner who were very homophobic, Yeah. you know, at, at the time. And um, and then other people trying to make conciliatory, you know, arguments, you know, like, oh, well, maybe queer people are just queer because they were the opposite sex in a past life, you oh. know, oh, therefore yeah. still establishing the heteronormative binary, yeah. you know, as, as the be-all, end-all. So I always kind of knew that I existed against that 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 wasn't true that was or at least it wasn't true for all people yeah and so I definitely wanted to make a statement about that or kind of against that and you know I have over the years I started my website fairywolf.com back in 1999 oh my gosh the 1900s <laughs> and um and so I, I wrote a lot about you know my experience as a gay man and, and the craft and kind of rewriting the great right yeah. You know, from a queer perspective, I got a lot of flack for that, even from oh. queer people, oh my gosh. because they just couldn't understand how that could be, you know, that the oh, well, magic is between a male and a female it's this, you know, polarity. I'm like, well, not always. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> not always. I so that's all what led to my book, you know. I love um, it.
0: I was about to ask you, you wrote this incredible book called The Satire's Kiss, and it is all about queer magic. You share some of your story like you just did about being a gay man and how your magic and your experience being queer kind of shaped this what you call queer craft. And I think that's such a beautiful expression of your, you know, of this magic. And one of the things I really love about the book is, like you said, like you do not center this paradigm of polarity that fucking so many witches and wizards and warlocks and occultists are obsessed with like honestly it's something i steered away from from my own book in sex magic because i think that it's so reductionary to be like you need this energy and like quote-unquote like masculine energy and feminine energy in this way and you need a penis and a vagina like it's just (laughs) so basic so just boring and so outdated but um i i this book is really incredible for anybody who's queer or not. Like I'm a straight woman reading this and I found just so much joy in it. And I am just more than anything. So grateful that you wrote this for all, you know, the queer, queer witches and queer and warlocks out there. Um, How did you, so you've been writing about this kind of magic for a while, your own experiences as a gay man, as a queer craft practitioner. How did you actually start to write this book? When was the kind of turning point point of being like, I want to like, really center like homoerotic and queer magic in in this book like how did that kind of come to be and how, how was the process for you writing it
1: the the overall process took a really long time if you consider that this was actually the first book that i ever wanted to write oh, wow. going back to when i was 14
0: oh my god and yeah.
1: so but <clears throat> i wasn't experienced enough Mm -hmm. to write this book at 14 i had never had sex at 14. Mm -hmm. you know so that that was not something that i could have spoken with any sort of like authenticity and i wasn't you know confident enough you know to do that you know back then as well um but i i know that I, i i i i was compiling some stuff together over the years and um, pro- God, what year was it? Maybe around 99. I have to lo- look at my notes. But um, when Christopher Penzak was writing gay witchcraft, he reached out to me. And because apparently my website was one of the few that were out there at the time that was talking about witchcraft from a queer perspective. Mm-hmm. And so he emailed me out of the blue. I had never met him. And he emailed me to tell me that he he loved my website. And um, could he please include that in the resources, you know, for his book, Gay Witchcraft? And I was completely honored. And I told him at the time, that's really awesome. I'm also working on a book, you know, that's about the queer craft and, you know, and stuff. But that was like back in, I think, 99, maybe 2000. Mm -hmm. We'd have to see when Gay Witchcraft came out. (laughs) It's all a blur. I'm not good with linear time. Um, You know, but then, you know. I'm a Pisces, and so it's like things go on the back burner, and I forget about it. I'm also probably ADHD. Really, I'm (laughs) I'm just now realizing this year (laughs) has been like a realization. Like, oh my goodness, Um, you know. So I had little bits and pieces I had collected. Maybe I'd write a ritual here and there, and it just went into a file on my hard drive. And and then, of course, I I hooked up with Llewellyn, and I wrote a couple books on the fairy tradition, and then um, those had done fairly well for me. And um then I proposed two books, The Witch's Name and then this The Seder's Kiss. And um and so I wrote them both kind of back to back during the pandemic.
0: Oh, <laughs> that was gosh. kind of an
1: interesting time. It was yeah. it gave me something to do. Yeah. And, for sure. um but I'm really glad that I waited all this time because I do feel like I'm very proud of it. And yeah. um I know it's not for everybody, you know, it does have some stuff in there that's I would say Explicit. I don't think it's crass, but it definitely explicit. And I definitely give practical exercises that deal with sex magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what you're signing up for. I Literally. think you know it's in the subtitle. Sex magic is in the subtitle. But I've noticed some people are really bothered by it. And you know what? I think that's okay. That gives us something to talk about because yeah. I think even in you know the witchy community, which kind of purports itself to be sex positive, there's still a lot of baggage that a lot of, even people that think they're sex positive have a lot of baggage from society that tells them, you know, that, oh, well, this is not right, or this is not spiritual. You know, and that's something that I got from some reviewers. If you go on Amazon, you can read some of the reviews and they're like, oh, this sounds like it belongs more in a sex club than a witch's circle and i'm like why not both
0: literally i was no. about to say are you kidding me like some of my most <laughs> spiritual experiences have been like having some kinky sex and just connecting to right? the divine and also it's like how many raunchy sexy books and how much like sexual content out there is there out there by by straight people you know what i mean like right
1: this and is no this one stuff- bats an eyelash at that. exactly it's just like whatever you know but then like the minute you talk about butt stuff you know it's like oh my god the queers what are they doing you know someone saved the children
0: it's like babe have you heard of alistair crowley come on like it's (laughs) fine (laughs) like where do you think this is coming from but no i think this book is such an incredible offering and i honestly feel like when this kind of thing is like divisive it's like you're meant to be doing it because things that are easy and palpable don't change anything it's like art has to be you know like the most powerful books and art like triggers something in people to like look at themselves to examine themselves and I've obviously it's a different experience when I was writing my own book about sex magic but like I I was just so acutely aware of like the weird split between sex and spirit that is so pervasive in like our western world where it's like if you're spiritual then you're not connected to your desires and you're not connected to your body and you're not practicing sex or having casual sex or having group sex but it's like Actually, I can do whatever I want because for me, like celebrating my body and finding pleasure in my body and connection with other people is like is sacred, even if it's not like, you know, somebody I'm in love with. And I think you just do such a beautiful job in your book of like, I love that you come at it from your own experiences as a gay man. And you also include just the queer community in such a potent way without like while with giving space to gay warlocks you know i love your first chapter is this like um you know it talks about like straight witches and how it's a straight witch world and it's it's really true like obviously the craft is this kind of accepting religion or not religion but you know spiritual path but there is this kind of polarity dogma this you're you know like you do sex magic with a, a penis and a vagina a man and a woman and like you know it just you just take that and throw it in the trash and light it on fire and invite <laughs> queer joy to be the center of the book and it, it really is so beautiful and um, I mentioned before how you describe this practice as queer craft, and I would just love to have you kind of, you know, share with our listeners like, how would you describe queer craft to somebody unfamiliar with it?
1: Well, my vision of a queer craft, you know, is something in which we get to center our queerness in our spiritual exploration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and so what I found often is that if, if we, you know, as queer people are operating in an established tradition, you know, that's not queer focused, you know, often, not always, but often we're asked to set our queerness aside.
0: yeah
1: You know, and again, if you're in one of those, you know, like British traditional Wicca um, groups, it's possible, not always, you know, but, but it's possible that, you know, you're going to be asked to, you know, play the role of a real man, you know, oh. aka the high priest, you know, which means, you know, you're the consort to the high priestess. It's very gender binary. Um, again, not all traditions, not even all Gardnerians, you know, would mm-hmm. adhere to that. I know I have a lot of Gardnerian friends; they're very accepting. I know queer Gardnerians. Um, there is a vocal minority in the Gardnerian tradition that is trying to claim. That it can only be the gender binary, and they're they're trying oh. to label those who are accepting as reformists,
0: oh, God. Um,
1: which is just BS. Literally. And um, you know, so and, and I experienced similar in the fairy tradition, although thankfully not about queer people. You know, um, but you know, it, it it gets back into that dogma thing. You know, you you you're part of a group, and then over time, it seems like people just forget that the heart of witchcraft is ecstasy. Yeah, and, and people delve into, well, these are the rituals and these are the, 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 the basic philosophies and we can't go around them because that's just the universal truth. Wow. And, and the second anybody says they have the universal truth, I just advise, just just walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's nobody has the universal truth. It is a mystery. I approach witch, witchcraft as a mystery tradition. I approach, I approach life as a mystery. Yeah. I don't know what happens after we die, you know and i'll i'll find out when we go we all will it's the great equalizer
0: exactly. you know i don't know
1: how the universe works i don't even know what the nature of gods are i work with them you know i i i find relevancy in working with them and and it's improved my life but i can't tell you exactly what their nature is you know yeah. it kind of reminds me of back in i don't know back in the old days of the new age movement where you would get a lot of like flow charts you know whatever kind of explaining the hierarchy of angels and the hierarchy of you know the universe and these spirits are subservient to these spirits and blah 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 I'm like that just seems so mechanistic and how do yeah. you know that that just seems like that's someone's acid trip
0: Literally. and they took it they
1: took it as gospel and it might have been great for them but that doesn't mean that that works for everybody else you know and so I think we need to have that sense of mystery that like maybe we need to remind ourselves that we don't know anything yeah you know I don't know, oh, okay. so I, I always kind of remind myself, I know nothing, so all I can speak about is my own personal experience, and I'm not telling you what to do. So with the queer craft, I'm not telling you this is what the queer craft of is. Course. you know, I'm giving suggestions as to things that one might include, but I think the heart of it it's it's so unique to the queer individual, but it's yeah. just that permission to be fully and authentically yourself. And that that is not separate from your craft. Your craft must stem from your center.
0: Exactly. That's something I always emphasize in my own work. Like your magic, your witchcraft has to be like a part of your life and a part of who you are and your desires and what burns bright in your soul. And i I just love everything you're saying. I think that sense of wonder and joy and reverence for the divine is like, again, such a central part of magic and of witchcraft and like. As soon as you think that you know everything and you stop being open to, like, learning, you're really limiting, to say the least, your craft and your life. And, you know, I think, like you said, leaving room for this mystery and leaving room to just have this kind of awareness of your place in the not knowing is just, it's humbling, you know? And I I feel the same way. I'm like, magic to me is, like you said, it's, it's ecstasy and it's love. And love is a force that will never be able to, you know comprehend or box in and i think that as soon as somebody tells you that they know who you are better than you than you do that they're the ones that know about you more than you do fucking run because you are the authority yeah. on yourself you're the authority on your life you're the authority on your own spirituality and while somebody can lead you there like it's just nobody knows you like you do and that just you know whether it's a, like another witch or a doctor or whatever like you are the authority on you and um, I just love your perspective so much. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's oh really well, beautiful. Well thank you.
1: That's very kind. Thank you.
0: Um, so like we said before, this book is a beautiful celebration of queer sex magic and of queer witchcraft and of queer esotericism. And I love that you include these really beautiful examples of symbols and of practices that are specifically adopted for queer witchcraft and for gay witchcraft you know you talk about the pink triangle which was the symbol that hitler used to label gay men back in nazi germany and you give this beautiful meditation and ritual for reclaiming the pink triangle you talk also about um different deities and different kind of mythological creatures that embody queer energy and i know that you've already shared about your own practice and reverence and devotion to wonder woman as this You know queer icon and this this goddess but do you have any other symbols deities archetypes or anything that's inspiring you right now in your own practice with queer with queer craft
1: well one of the main ones of course would be the satyr the the greek satyr and of course gives its you know name to the book um which was also a major figure for our queer men's um Witchy group that Mm. met for i think 12 years it was right until the pandemic
0: wow you know and
1: um it started off as a as a public open circle for um queer men and um after after a few months we we made it private um yeah there was there was something about having something of that nature open to the public that you know we attracted some really great people but we also attracted some people that weren't really there for the magic of course and um And we weren't a sexually open group. You know, I think in in the Seder's Kiss, I talk about um, blue rites and red rites. And red rites would be those that are actually involve, you know, sexual activity, right? So Mm -hmm. that would be definitely sex magic, sexual, sex ritual. Blue rites um, might have a sexual charge in terms of symbolism, you know, but there's no actual, like, sexual happening, you know, going on. And the, um, the Brotherhood of the Seder, um, which was our group, um, was definitely a blue group. You know, there, it was sexually charged, um, but there wasn't any, you know, sexual activity, you know, going on between the members. And, um, but we would still attract from the public people that were definitely looking for things on the red side, and maybe not even magic at all, you know, <laughs> I, I remember after we went um, private for like several years, I guess something was still out there on the internet somewhere, you know, advertising it, um, unbeknownst to us. And this gentleman um, called the shop because, of course, we used to have a, a store, and this is where it used to be hosted. And he called the shop and wanted to um, to come to the event, um, and then like revealed over the phone to me that he was very well endowed. Well, and he was looking forward to sharing that with the group, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, well, that's very kind of you, <laughs> but that's not really what the focus of the group is." And yeah. we're a private group now, anyway. But thank you. You know, he was just passing through town, and you know what? Nothing to shame that person. You know, he was looking for something that's valid. It just wasn't the thing that we were offering.
0: Yeah, you know, for sure.
1: But um, but that was also something that I realized whenever you have something that advertises like a sexual element. You're also probably going to get some um, maybe unwanted um, sexual attention, you <laughs> yeah, know, from the public. You definitely. know, I, I get some very interesting Instagram messages. Um, <laughs> and so and I try to be kind, you know, um, but definitely just if anyone is out there listening, I'm, I'm all for um, consensual exchanges. I don't mm-hmm. need to see your pictures up front. You, oh babe. yeah.
0: No. Oh my gosh. We do not stand, <laughs> do not condone and do not support unsolicited dick pics in any way at all. Like period. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'm i I'm a fan of dick pics. Don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, me too. You know, I whatever. love them.
0: <laughs> but but like when. to
1: be, you know, exactly. There's, there's be some negotiation or exactly. at least, I mean, if that's on Scruff, that's kind of, that's the environment. I don't you know that's just gonna happen and that's fine on Instagram or like Facebook I'm like oh I was just wasn't expecting to see this today over my toast and coffee
0: yeah no (laughs) I've had a video of somebody fingering themselves and sending it to me and I was like very just unsolicited unsolicited it was horrible it's not cool and I love a dick pic I love a dick pic but there has to be some kind of like anything like exchange right yeah like, there has to no, be no an- they should be solicited
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. only solicited picks. thank you very much
0: only solicited um well <laughs> i i love the name of this book i love the satyr okay i was gonna say satire It was like that's not right the satyr's kiss <laughs> and in it you describe you know the satyr is this mythological half man half goat creature who once upon a time uh, had a really beautiful big heart on and um, in, in your book, you describe the seder as a representation of our need to combat oppressive, oppressive, uh, oppressiveness often found in the larger world. World with acts of pleasure that affirm life. I thought that was such a beautiful representation of that symbol of just like completely, you know, owning who you are, which can be, you know, it's so much more difficult as a queer person than it is a straight person. And, I just love this energy. And how do you feel that the Seder has infused the energy of this book? How do you see it kind of carried throughout the the magic of the the pages?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think that the Seder has been something that has been with me personally for a really long time. Um, one of the very first um, sexual experiences that I had with a spirit, you know, was with... Um, um, The God Pan. Mm. And, um, and of course, and he will just show up. Like, if you want to do that work with him, like anybody, he, he, he's, he is, it's right in the name, right? He's Pan. He's pansexual. Mm. And, um, you know, but, but he represents just that, you know, owning of our desire, owning of our ecstasy, you know, that primal part of us that in Western society, we try to sweep under the carpet, you know, um, we try to pretend it doesn't exist, you know, but but the Seder is a reminder that, that we are also animals yeah. and that, hey, we can actually access our spirituality through the animal body. We don't have to deny the body in order to get to the spiritual. We can, you know, focus on our desire in order to get there as well. And to me, that's the message of the Seder. It's just about Allowing yourself to do what feels good, yeah. you know, in the moment. Now, of course, we also have a a brain and we want to make sure that, you know, we are doing things like consent mm-hmm. and respect, you know, you know, whatever. So I'm not saying it's a free for all, but what I'm saying <laughs> is that the the heart of the Seder lives within all of us and we can tap into that and we can allow that out. Maybe under controlled circumstances, you know, yeah. depends on our situation and you know our surroundings and and, and all of that. But that's not supposed to be a source of shame. Yeah. It can be a source of pride. Yeah. And so I, I think the seder for me is a reminder that that divine power is within us and it's within the body and it's within my dick, you know. And <laughs> yes. that that is that's part of the power. You know, it, pleasure is powerful. And remember the charge of the goddess, all yeah. acts of love and pleasure mm-hmm. are my rituals. So between that and the Seder, I, I think you have enough to to start on this healing journey to reclaim our sexual desire as something holy, as opposed to something from which we feel shame.
0: Yes. Ugh, I want to scream that from the rooftops. It's so, you know, it's <laughs> like something I think so many of us are innately... Connected to, but whether or not we have grown up with, you know, Christianity or, you know, just living in this society that really, you know, does not separate church and state, where we are kind of indoctrinated by these, you know, beliefs of sex is between a man and a woman in missionary position and only in missionary position and only if you're married. Like, it's, you know, I grew up Jewish, but I grew up in the Deep South and, those beliefs were definitely like around me and it's it's hard to kind of step out of them. And I think that working with this archetype and this spirit is such a beautiful way to remember that, yeah, pleasure is sacred and it is nothing to be ashamed of and sexuality is sacred and desires are sacred. I, I just feel like I never super jived with buddhism because i'm like i really i don't think that my desires are the root of all my suffering i think that's kind of patriarchy babes like i think it's us disconnecting from our magic and our pleasure i think
1: agreed (laughs) our
0: desires can lead us towards our true will towards our purpose because they're you know it doesn't mean every desire we have to be discerning but when you are practicing this kind of magic you're hopefully at the end of the day, not only becoming more and more in tune with your truth and your heart, but hopefully your magic is making you a better person, you know? And I just, I love the, this idea of working with a stater in this way. Um, if somebody hasn't worked with this archetype or this, you know, being, how do you suggest somebody kinds of kind of begins to establish this relationship with this energy, both, you know, outside of themselves and within themselves?
1: You know, honestly, the easiest way that I have found, and this isn't gonna work for everybody, but the easiest way that I found to work with the Seder is through solo sex magic. Yeah. You know, so oh, yeah. masturbation is healthy. Masturbation yep. is holy. Yes. This is something that we can do to get closer to God, to goddess, to universe. It's right there, it's built in. We have this innate system in our bodies that enables us to be able to transcend our worries for a time, our our cares, our responsibilities, and tap into just that inexhaustible source of pleasure that we might call God or goddess. And and the Seder is particularly aligned to that type of pleasure. And so, you know, early on, you know, I realized that through masturbation and just focusing on the image of the Seder, you know, would bring that presence to me, mm. and I I found it completely empowering. It you know, and I needed that at the time because you know when I when I came out um, at seventeen, you know I there was it was it was still pretty hard. I mean, I lived in the yeah. San Francisco Bay Area. Yes, it's a liberal bubble, but you know, I certainly was. On the receiving end of, of discrimination and yeah. and and even violence you know i had definitely been attacked and insulted and i was passed over for job promotions you know um because of it you know so i certainly have experienced you know that and it's it's easy to take all of that and to internalize that and to feel a sense of shame yeah. but i feel like through my magic you know through these connections in particular with the seder who was telling me, no, your sexuality is just fine the way it is. It's, yeah. you know, pleasure is holy. That, I think, helped me from going over the edge, you know, from from really kind of fully adopting the over-cultures idea of shame. And so I never really fully embodied that shame. You know, I was able to kind of get out of that fairly quickly. And I do attest to my magical practice as being kind of the key. That helped me through that. And the Seder and the God Pan were instrumental at that time. You know, so that so the Seder has always been something that's kind of hung over my head. Yeah. And so I was especially pleased to be able to kind of dedicate this latest work, you know, to that. And um, but yeah, so I think if somebody wants to work with the Seder, you know, it, you know, hey, go on Google, download an image, of you know, of, you know, of Pan and you know i don't know get your favorite lube (laughs) (laughs) enjoy maybe a towel you know whatever have a good time explore your body you know Uh, allow yourself to really decide and to really learn what pleases you that's okay you know and and take your time with it you know it shouldn't just be like i'm gonna just go into the bathroom for five minutes that, that's more, I mean, that can, ha- you know, that can be fine too, but that's just more of a release. What we really want to do is really explore, you know, slow your breath, caress your body, you know, and maybe imagine that the Seder is there with you. He's caressing your body, you know, yeah. through through your hands. That really does allow this spiritual opening to occur. And, and it can be as simple as that. You might want to ritualize it if you're more... On, on that end of things, or if you are if you're more comfortable doing it, what I would call a blue rite, you know maybe you don't want to incorporate you know masturbation. That's fine too. Not everybody has to do that. Not everybody has to do sex magic. Um, maybe then what you're going to do is you're going to have that image of the Seder and then maybe you're going to you know burn some incense, you know, or you're going to leave an offering of flowers, or you do a little meditation on the Seder. But if you haven't done the masturbation thing, I, I suggest you at least give it a try because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at, at how effective that can be. And um, in, in my work that I do teaching the fairy tradition, I also teach sex magic, um, much more on the blue side. I give people the red rights to do at home, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but people tell me that that's the, that's the best time they've ever had doing homework
0: oh (laughs) yes i love it and i love all your your suggestions and i think that practice of yeah like making self-love in that way and connecting to that to that being is so beautiful and i feel oh my god my words pleasure (laughs) is such a potent force it is such potent connective tissue between us and something greater than ourselves and absolutely if if you've never done it it's okay if you feel silly it's don't take it too seriously it's okay if it's uncomfortable like you yeah. don't have to do it if you if you get to the point and you're uncomfortable you can take a step back and reconnect but just I think allowing that kind of discomfort and in stepping into the unknown for the first time and even offering that you know to the seder to yourself to your to the universe your spiritual practice can help you like to dive in and i think that is yeah i'm i'm a huge proponent of solo sex magic in general and especially to meet energies and spirits so thank you thank you thank you for this um
1: i want to say thank you for something you just said that it not only could it feel uncomfortable at first and to recognize that and maybe move on but but you said it could even feel silly and that's okay and and i i really want to take a moment to honor that because so much of my personal message, you know, beyond the sexuality thing, you know, is that magic can be ridiculous,
0: (laughs) you know, and it can be
1: totally silly. And I think we need to make friends with silly.
0: Definitely.
1: You know, I mean, just the thought of it, it's like, you know, Oh, a group of witches who get together in their living room every month and they move the coffee table out of the way and they take off their clothes and they're chanting to ancient gods, dancing around a cauldron. If you're part of that ritual, it feels serious and you know what you're doing and, you know, you have this, you know, connection. But if you're outside of that, looking at it, it looks absurd, <laughs> you know? And I, I think that for those of us doing it, we need to recognize that and to embrace it, that it's okay to look absurd, that that's actually a power. The, the, the fear of being silly I kind of feel like that's something else that comes from the patriarchy. Definitely. You know, that's that's something that keeps us in line. Oh, mm-hmm. no, you don't want to, you don't want, what will the neighbors think? You know, that sort of thing, right? And so maybe learning how to not care what the neighbors think so much. You know, within reason, you don't want to be course. late. You know, you don't want to be loud late at night. and have the cops called on you
0: yeah you (laughs) You can be silly you can be a silly goose and still be a respectful
1: goose you know like absolutely that's so true i love that (laughs) i need a (laughs) t-shirt
0: i yeah i feel like something i've been kind of really aware of for a long time as i've become an adult which is weird because i still feel like a teenager is that like being enjoying play and wonder and having that sense of just awe and silly, silliness at the universe is what keeps us from being miserable adults. As yeah, soon as we stop having wonder and awe and play, and as soon as we stop letting ourselves be silly and just start acting like adults, that inner flame and our inner child and our nervous system are crushed. And yeah, magic is like there's a reason that it's so innate to us when we're little, and there's an, you know there's a reason that like little kids and babies have this connection to. magic and they play pretend but like is it pretend who knows you know like I think cultivating that kind of just carefree wonder and joy is so important like I you know I do consider my own practice like it is very much rooted in ceremonial tradition and ceremonial magic but at the end of the day my magic is like it's about how I feel and it's about my my joy and my appreciation and I think that that's why sex magic is so powerful because it it gets us in our bodies. Like if you think too much when you're practicing sex magic and you think about all the things like you're going to miss the pleasure in your body, you're going to miss how it feels. You're going to miss being able to breathe and direct it because you're, you know, in your head and that can happen, obviously, like sex, that's not magical at all. But I do think that sense of just. Also self-compassion of being like, yeah, it's going to feel silly and it's going to feel weird, but like, it's okay, and I'm going to do it anyway, and I don't have to do it all at one time. I have my, there's no rush, I can take baby steps, like, especially, especially, especially if you have dealt with some kind of, you know, sexual trauma or sexual assault or anything like that, like it's okay. And I think that like, I know for myself being able to laugh at myself, like is just, I mean, my motto is laugh or die miserable bitch. Like if you don't <laughs> laugh at the universe, she is going to laugh at you. So like just learning to have that sense of kind of like being able to laugh at yourself and and enjoy the silliness. I think is like yeah. so important.
1: And I love that you brought in the thing with children, you know, how like children just inherently know, you know, they kind of, they do magic all the time, mm-hmm. but obviously not rooted in something, you know, ceremonial or, you know, overly intellectual. It, it's about just feeling and they slip into that sense. They pretend, you know, and they, that's a magical space to be in. And so if we can remember that, because we all did that as children yeah. and that's not gone, that's not lost. That's still part of us. Maybe it's very deep, you know, but the act of silly and pretending can really help us to kind of I don't know, kind of dig through all that muck that society has put on us as respectable adults, you know, and so we can get back into that kind of childhood innocence. You know, I've yeah. said before that um, any child worth their weight in fairy dust knows that the power of pretending is a formidable one. Yeah. You know, you can fall into this, this mindset and then touch these powers, you know, so, so again, being silly, I think it's something that, that if we're not comfortable with it, if, if, if you're sitting at home and you're listening to this and you don't want to be silly in your magic, well, then you should ask yourself, where is that resistance coming from? Like, why is, why is it not okay to be silly?
0: Yeah. You know,
1: because if we're not okay being silly, that really to me kind of means that we're, we're paying too much attention to what other people might think of us. And then we're no longer living authentically. Yeah, we're no longer living from our core outward. You know, we're altering ourselves based on our fear of of what people might say or do or think. And, you know, we're social animals. Of course, we care about what people say or do or think about us, you know, but we need to address that, especially magically, we're being asked to kind of go to the next level of consciousness and the next level of consciousness to me means abandoning this baggage that really isn't useful. All it's doing is keeping us down. It's keeping us powerless to touch our power. We have to confront our fear and sometimes our fear can be confronted through acts of silliness. Yeah. And one of the, spe- I want to say one of the spells in the satyr's kiss that I think embodies this and it also has gotten a lot of flack, you know, from some people is the, um, it's the protection spell, the daddy bear protection spell in which you basically make a scary bear face, you know, and and it's ridiculous. And you, and you put up your hands and you, you know, force your fingers into like claws and you kind of grrr, right. (laughs) As part of it. And people like focused on that. They're like, this is just absurd this is silly, um, and I'm like, yeah, it is silly. That doesn't mean that it's not powerful. Mm-hmm. Have you tried it? You know, try it, try it, and see see if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. It's not going to work for everybody. Um, but that really told me that a lot of prob- a lot of people have problems with being silly. They yeah. want to, they want the craft and and occultism to look respect respectable at all times. And that really means that they want to look respectable at all yeah. times, which really means they're really concerned with uh, what other people think of them. Yeah, definitely. You know, so I think this gives us an opportunity for some of that shadow work, too. So how funny that silliness would be part of the shadow work that we have to do. Yeah. But here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. And just even visualizing, like, making that face and putting your class up, like, I feel like it's so cathartic, and I think that one of the things I love about your work and one of the things I'm really passionate about sharing in my own is how our our craft, in my opinion, needs to be connected to the body and it needs to be an yes. embodied experience and not just happening in our head and even just that like you know changing your face and using your hands like it might feel silly, but it's like that's also like a you know like a yoga pose you do where like you stick your tongue out and like You like breathe really heavy, you know, like there's a reason that these are these are practices and I that are they're potent and they are silly. But like you said, that if you have resistance to it, then it's a really beautiful path to just like you said, facing your fear, owning your power and um, something to meditate upon. And that's 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 silly that people gave that exercise flack, because I (laughs) I feel like if you try, you would understand. Um, So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. We're currently recording in June, which is Pride Month, but queer joy should be celebrated every day and queer ancestors should always be honored and remembered. Do you have any suggestions for simple rituals or meditations for listeners to celebrate queerness and honor what you call the rainbow dead?
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, that that was something that I, I, I actually struggled with a little bit when I was putting the book together because I knew that people were kind of expecting that I was going to, if, if I was going to talk about, you know, the queer ancestors, that I was going to limit them to ancestors who practiced the craft. Yeah. And, and of course, I don't. You know, I, yeah. I do have a section on that, but I really realized that, but it's more than that. It's more than just honoring other witches and warlocks or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It, it's about, It's about recognizing that queer people are an emerging community. And we have our own culture, you know, which is based from a lot of other different cultures. you know, it's kind of a patchwork quilt, right? And um, but we do, we have our own culture in our own right. And so, as part of my spiritual practice, I wanted to honor those ancestors who have helped to shape the world that we're in today, because the reason that we have the rights that we have today, it's not because straight people gave them to us out of the goodness of their hearts <laughs> yeah it's it's because we have fought tooth and nail mm. for so long you know this goes way back before stonewall but of course stonewall was this big you know galvanizing moment right and so mm-hmm. i wanted to honor that as well so one of the things in the queer craft that i propose is orient, orienting yourself to stonewall You know, so wherever you are in the world, you know, figuring out like, where, where is Stonewall in relation to me and facing that direction and making a little prayer of connection. And it doesn't have to be Stonewall. If there's some other event, you know, in, you know, queer consciousness that you feel, you know, was the moment, you know, that you want to honor, then, you know, figure that out, you know, honor honor that, you know, in in some way. But what, what I call the rainbow dead and I was quite surprised I hadn't found that term already used before. Um, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to include everyone. So Alan Turing, you know, is, is one of the rainbow dead. He is basically the father of modern computing. And he was instrumental in cracking the uncrackable Nazi code, you know, during World War II. And and that really, you know, gave the allies, you know, their way of, of winning the war. And, of course, after the war was won, they, convicted him of the supposed crime of homosexuality oh. I and mean, then he was chemically castrated and he oh. committed suicide two years later he was only 41.
0: Oh my god I hadn't heard about him that's so sad.
1: So yeah. he's a, there's actually a movie about I haven't seen it yet but there, there's a movie about him so I have that, I'm, I have that on my list to do Beautiful. I only have a few days left in pride month so I, I better get on it um, <laughs> but there's so many others you know too and so I actually put together a google calendar that I, I update periodically called the queer craft and it really is just entries on different days to honor you know people's birthdays or the days they died or maybe events of mourning
0: you know um
1: tragic acts of violence that have been you know levied against queer people in the community i want us to remember those as well because we have to know where we came from and this stuff still happens yeah you know, it's not like, oh, this is just all in the past. This stuff still happens, you know, yeah. and so we need to remember that, you know, this, this is something important. We have our own martyrs. We have our own saints, you know, yeah. and that's okay to center queer people in our craft because it's our craft. We don't that's have to practice right. somebody else's craft. If you want to practice somebody else's craft, that's totally fine. You find that empowering? That's great. I'm not here to say you need to make a replacement. I'm saying, if you're not fulfilled in following this heteronormative paradigm, well, maybe you'll find something closer to home. And here's one way in which you might do that. You don't have to do it my way. I don't even necessarily do it all the ways that I wrote about in that book, you know, all the time. You know, my practice is ever-changing but i'm just hoping that it inspires people to kind of come out of the heteronormative box. Yeah. And and to realize, no, it's okay. It's oh, it's perfectly valid and okay and beautiful to explore a gay great right.
0: Yeah.
1: Or even a great right that involves more than two people. That's yeah. valid. That's okay. I'm giving people permission.
0: <laughs> I love it. Keep giving people yeah. permission and i think that's such a beautiful like orienting yourself to like you know, something that like Stonewall or something else is such a beautiful way of, of of kind of integrating that into your practice. And like you said, I think that centering queer people that inspire you, right, whether or not they're witches or warlocks, I think that is such a beautiful offering. Um, so to anybody who's listening who is queer or questioning or coming into their queerness and wants to start a sex magic practice, but is having feelings of shame or guilt around their sexuality, or around this kind of desire. Do you have any advice or anything that you would wish somebody had told you when you were starting out on this path?
1: Hmm, what did I want someone to have told me? Um, well, I just wanna tell people that um, you're okay as you are. Yeah. You know, you don't need to make any changes to who you are in order to be accepted by the divine Mm. you already are divine it's really just these practices that we do are just little tricks to help us remember that to help us kind of bring that more fully into our consciousness the realization that we are divine and we always have been Uh you know so do you you know do you you're a unique expression and that's what it's all about you know to me that's what the queer craft is all about and that's what queer people do best. You know, we, you know, exude our queerness, you know, we are creative and artistic and loving and silly. But through all of that, you know, we inspire great works of healing, you know. Um, I, I think just being who you are is the absolute most important thing any of us can ever do mm-hmm. in our lifetime. Yes, yes, and if yes. you feel safe enough, if you feel safe enough to be visible and, and authentically who you are, then that's awesome because that helps other people too. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say perhaps, you know, you don't live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Maybe you live in some place like the South where you don't feel mm-hmm. comfortable or safe. You don't have to be out yeah. That's up to you. Or you could be out selectively. That's up to you. And there's no shame in that. You, you have to do what you have to do to keep yourself, your family safe. Mm-hmm. And that, those are real concerns. You know, um, hate crimes against queer people have been going up you know, um, since 2016. Go figure. And um, you know, so, so we live in a volatile world. There's a lot of backlash right now against queer people. So many bills are being proposed and some are enacted that are really demonizing queer people across the board. And yeah. it is scary. Thankfully, a lot of them are getting thrown out on the federal level, you know, here in the United yeah. States. But still, this causes, you know, the, this you know, bad, corruptive energy within, you know, society. And, it, and when politicians propose these anti-queer bills, that directly translates into anti-queer violence. Definitely. And so we need to remember that we have our community. We can come together. We can have our, our safe spaces. We need to have our safe spaces um, so we can, you know, just feel alive and yeah. feel pleasure. And that's okay. And th- and that's what we need. So that's what I wanna tell queer people is that you are okay just how you are. You don't need to come out if you don't want to. Um, if you if you do want to, if you feel safe, then that's awesome because I think that that helps other people feel safe and that helps raise the vibration of society, you know, through confrontation, through visibility. Um, but everybody has to make their own individual decisions. But ultimately, just be queer. Yeah. You know, if you wanna be queer, be queer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if that's then, what you are then be who you are
0: and there's no you know way to do that no one way to do that no pressure to do that like you said i think that's such a beautiful point because i feel the same i feel like us you living your truth is the biggest offering you you ever give to goddess because you are the divine put in a human suit you know to have an experience right. so the divine understands what it means to be in flesh. and there's no one way to do that and like you said like it's That alone, living your truth is a gift, and if you share it, amazing, but you don't have to. I think that's something that, like, I really needed to hear. I know other people really needed to hear, and just, that was
1: gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I've heard from people that will say, oh, I, you know, like, Storm, I I admire you for being able to be out there, but I could never do that. And then they feel bad, like like somehow they are letting the queer community down, you know, by not doing that and I want to say, you're not letting anybody down. You're, you're living your life. You're, you're being safe. You know, it's safety is important. You know, I, again, I live in the San Francisco Bay area and you know, it's, it's a liberal bubble, you know? So I, I, I grew up here, you know, I've never really lived anywhere else. And so this is, I'm part of, I'm a product of my environment, Yeah. you know? So, um, I don't want people to think, oh my God, you know, he's so brave. Or I just, I also feel like I didn't have much of a choice because you could see my gayness from space, (laughs) you know. So, you know, I was just, you know, there you go. I am what I am. Deal with it. Um, But part of that attitude is because I was subjected to violence and I was subjected to threats and insults my entire life. And so I don't necessarily know if I grew a thicker skin. I don't feel jaded, but I was able to not care about yeah. that anymore you know it's like oh consider the source i've been yeah. insulted by better than you We're moving Literally. on you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love that well i'm oh, i'm so sorry my heart hurts for you and all you know queer people who go through that experience and i'm just hopeful that you know when all the old men in power die out that our generation the generations beneath us are gonna just really change things for the better
1: I, I got my fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm of I'm, I'm generation X and um, you know, there's quite a conservative movement yeah, within Gen X, but and a lot of people said, Oh, they're surprised. I'm like, Well, I'm not really surprised because you know, I went yeah. to high school with these people. Yeah. And they were jerks then. Exactly. You know, so so my hope is really in the in the the younger generations. And it seems like for the most part, people are being more progressive and more open-minded you know there's a lot more um, young people who identify as queer or trans you know today and i want to say i don't think it's because we have any more queer or trans people than we ever did i just think it's that people feel more comfortable you know um sharing who they authentically are so this is not something society should be scared about this is something that society needs to embrace with love yeah
0: do you in that same vein do you have any just anything that you want the straight allies out there, the straight witches and warlocks out there to just know or any advice or anything you, you wish you could tell us that we could do to continue or to support the queer community more you know, thoroughly.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's, that's a really good question. That's not something I've ever really thought of before. Um, I, 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 I think, you know, just keep loving us but not in a compartmental way yeah, You know, um, we're not your gay friends. We're your friends, Yeah, you know, and, um, but maybe some of our stuff, you're not going to understand and that's okay because it's not for you. Yeah, And you know, some of your stuff I tried, but it's not for me, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. And that isn't a moral judgment either way. You know, I'm not saying that the straight magic is ineffectual, you know, and in fact, I, I think I went to great pains in my book to kind of say I wasn't condemning you know, gender polarity because mm-hmm. I think that for a lot of straight people that probably works great. Um, but I'm not a straight person and that doesn't work great for me. So I'm doing this other thing over here, um, but that's okay. We don't have to judge either, each other's magic. We don't even have to understand each other's magic exactly, in order part. to respect each other.
0: And to accept it, you know, you don't have to understand it to accept it, like period. With so many different things
1: absolutely. Yeah. Um once you feel that respect it, you, that that you have to have understanding in order to do it, then you don't really understand what respect is. Yeah. That's a great. You idea. know, like yeah. my mother even told me, you know, cuz I'm in a polyamorous relationship. There's four of us. Yes. And we we collectively call ourselves House Four Locks. Oh my and, god, um, shut up. I love that. <laughs> yeah, Matt Matt came up with that. Um but my mother you know, she. You know, she came to me. She said, "Well, I don't understand it, but I respect it, and I love you."
0: Oh my God, Mom! Yeah. I love her. What a gift! Yeah, yeah, I oh, lucked out. That's so beautiful, Stormwell. This has been truly such a special conversation. It is, I feel like my heart is like on fire. Um, But before we wrap up, where can people find you? What's next? What we can expect, anything you wanna share at this point about how people can support The Seder's Kiss and all your other fantastic books.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, um, first and foremost, you can go to my website. That's fairywolf.com. That's F-A-E-R-Y, wolf.com. And from there, you can um, find out all about my other projects, my other books. Um, my the services that I offer, I do um, offer um, private sessions over Zoom. Uh, if people are interested in that, I'm also the Chancellor of Modern Witch University. You can go there to modernwitchuniversity.com and there's a bunch of classes that we offer including our Black Rose Witchcraft one year online course. Um, and so and there's some other courses that we have there as well if you're all interested in that. Um, but yeah, definitely check those out. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, So um, I'm looking forward to if if people have any questions. I try to make myself fairly accessible. So, um, But yeah, if you're interested in any of that stuff, go ahead and check it out and see see what we're doing. We also have a Patreon that's being revamped this month, or I should say for next month. Um, So you can go to modernwitch.com and just click on Patreon and see what we're offering. And that would really help us out um, because this is what we do full time. We do not have, quote unquote, regular jobs. We make our our living by writing and teaching the craft and and all of that. So I'm really grateful to all the people that have supported us, our students, our customers. Um, Oh yes, and then um, also we have a store, a web store, daturatrading.com, where we sell a lot of magical supplies, Um, divination art Um, my husband Chaz Bagan does a lot of um, wooden laser art Um, so yeah definitely check those out Um, and I'm very 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 grateful
0: yay well thank you so much Storm I'll link everything below too so it'll be easy for people to
1: find things right on thank you so much
0: thank you so much I hope you are radiating with queer joy after listening to that episode with Storm Fairy Wolf, and I hope you're feeling the energetic remnants of Pride Month as you do so. This is just a reminder that it is not too late to sign up for my new three-part course, Perverting the Tarot, working with and reading the tarot erotically. I already taught the first part of this on working with the major arcana cards, which means that you can purchase that recording on my website. And on Sunday, November 19th, I am teaching the second part of the course on working with the minor arcana. And the following Sunday, the 26th, I am finishing up the course by teaching on magic, ritual, and practices that involve the tarot from an erotic lens. So think talismans and sex magic and embodiment and meditation and more. Um, you can either come to the live class or wait until the days after I actually teach when I will be uploading the class as a recording. Um, so just wanted to share that as always, you can, um, snag my ritual guides and read my essay and, find a library of essays and tarot spreads and more on my patreon at gabby her which is the same as all my social her with one k um i am verified on instagram please do not fall for the scammers y'all i'm never gonna message you and say like grand moon rising your energy spoke to me like i'm sorry i'm just not um so if that's if you got a message from me it's not actually me report and block and as always all the links to my social to my website and to my classes are below and I will see you next week with a brand new episode of love lust and magic thank you guys so much for being here
1: Lust, and Magic is produced by Zach Toman.